Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A show where a nerd fits in. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Streets of San Francisco. A Quinn Martin production, starring Carl Malden. Also starring... Jimmy! I got one thing! Jimmy! Tonight's episode, Mr. Nobody. Yeah, that is who I am. Welcome to episode number 1137. It is a Tuesday episode. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi! Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. Well, at least two sane spectators and one sick one right next to me. The sane ones are the fur kids behind me. You can see a picture of one of the fur kids on our Facebook page. Getting as as we got ready to record this episode, gave me just a strange look on her fur on her uh, dog bed, and I just snapped that quick shot and. Yeah, she was, I don't know what, maybe she was dreading because somebody was ill, part of the Riley and Kimmy show. And the person who's sick is right next to me, and that is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. You are a trooper. I'm glad you made it to this episode of the Riley and Kimmy show. Well, I have an excuse tonight if I miss anything because I'm under the influence of a green... Oh, the Hulk. Uh, Hulk. Oh, you, you're on the Hulk, huh? Okay. Yeah. Well, we hope you feel better soon, okay? Thank you. And we're sending positive thoughts your way. And... For you, Kimmy, maybe because you're feeling poorly, people can take part in hashtag win it for Kimmy. Win it for Kimmy, the Spacey Awards for Best Podcast. Uh, the Riley and Kimmy Show is up for that. The, the the voting is going on right now. The balloting is happening. And you can find a ballot right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. It's pinned right at the top. And you can also find it on our Facebook page right at the very top where you can vote, right? Mm-hmm. And vote and share it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Please uh, click on the bubble, or it might be a box, depending on your viewing device, right next to our name. Or actually, it's to the left of our name. Click on that, and if you can, we'd deeply appreciate it if you'd share it with a couple of people and have them do the same. Have them vote for us and share with at least a couple, maybe two or three, or, or if they want to share more, that, that would be deeply appreciated. By the way, liking the Facebook post does not count as a vote. You have to click on the box or the bubble. Correct, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. And a good friend to the Riley and Kimmy show, Mike Kales of Mike's Dead Formats, created hashtag win it for Kimmy. Please help Kimmy win this it, it might make you feel better as uh, the votes come in right kimmy oh it'd make me feel a lot better all right so do it for kimmy help her out and help us win the spacey awards voting going on into february i believe the final day of voting will be february 13th is that correct kimmy yes that'll be a friday the 13th so you'll have to make it a lucky is that right no 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 it won't be friday it won't be friday the 13th i'm mistaken it'll be that'll be a wednesday i think or tuesday 
the 13th. I think it's a Monday. Consult your local calendar. All right. I pulled it up on the calendar here. It is a Monday. That's appropriate. A Monday the 13th. That's worse. That's 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 worse than a Friday That's what I thought. Yeah, no, Monday the 13th it is. So it won't be an unlucky day, but you can make it a lucky time for Kimmy. Yes, win it for Kimmy. Hashtag win it for Kimmy. And get those votes in. It will help make her feel better, don't you think? Yes. All right, Kimmy. Even though you're under the weather a little bit, are you able, are you willing to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia on this Tuesday, January 31st? I'm going to try my best. It is a Tuesday, January 31st. Now, just because Kimmy's a little bit sick doesn't mean we're going to take it easy on her with the Almanac with Nerd and Geek Pop Culture Trivia. No, not at all. Some of the... Some of the questions might be jumbled around here in the timeline, meaning the dates are not chronological or linear. There's a very good chance of that, Kimmy. As we play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia on this Tuesday, January 31st, if you feel sorry for Kimmy, feel free to shout out answers to her. She can use your help. Yes, you future listeners can shout them out, and those answers will go down the time vortex, we believe, right into Kimmy's ears, and she'll be able to give us the answer. But please, because... She's on that green stuff, the Hulk. Speak clearly. Yell clearly. Shout clearly. Yes, yell at your tablet, your smartphone, your laptop or desktop, whatever computing device you're listening to the Riley and Kim show on. Just uh, speak clearly. So here we go. The very first question as we move to the Almanac on this Tuesday, January 31st, Kimmy. It was on this date. Give me the year within 20 years that 3M begins marketing scotch tape. When did scotch tape start to... Uh, 1950. I gave you 20. Kimmy got it because it's 1930 when they began that. Mm. Way to go. You're, you're, you're doing well, Kimmy. Now, next question. What year? Within five years. When was the first Social Security check issued by the United States government? 1948. Ooh, she was close. 1940 is when that happened. You didn't make it within the five. It was on this date, 1606. Guy Fawkes was executed after being convicted for his role in the gunpowder plot against English Parliament and King James I. Now, Guy Fawkes, a mask of Guy Fawkes, plays a role in a certain movie, Kimmy. Can you tell me the name of the movie where Guy Fawkes' mask... Plays a part in the movie, also a graphic novel. It's an Alan Moore creation. Can you tell me the name of the movie? Nope. Can't do it. Natalie Portman starred in it. Still can't do it. Mm -mm. Uh, Let me look in the studio here. We do have a poster of it in this room somewhere. In this studio. V for Venvet. Vendetta. Yes, Kimmy. V for Vendetta is the answer of that. That's Guy Fawkes. That is one ah. right there. And then all the people wear mm-hmm. later on in the in the movie. It's on this date, Kimmy. Give me the century. I'm going to give you the opportunity here. I've narrowed it down to the exact date in a century. You tell me which one is is right, okay? Uh-huh. The first clinic specializing in the treatment of venereal disease was opened in London. On this date in history, was it 1647, 1747, 1847, or 1947? 
18. It was 1747. That is the answer. It was on this date. Give me the trademark Coca-Cola was registered in the United States Patent Office. Give me the year within 20 years that that happened. 1930. You miss it. It was 1893. It was on this date. Give me the first automobile to exceed 100 miles per hour. Did this in Daytona Beach, Florida. Give me the year within 10 that that happened. 1950. It was 1905 that that happened. I'm doing great today. Yes, in Daytona Beach. Okay, give me. Wow. It was on this date, 1936, a certain radio show debuted debuted in Detroit, Michigan at WXYZ Radio, the same place where its other show that it's kind of a spinoff from, they are connected, debuted years before. See if you can identify who this classic old-time radio character is, also pulp character, also film character, also television character, and comic book character. Here is your clue. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies that even the G-men cannot reach. Thirty years before television, he was a hit on radio. Give me my question for you is, tell me the name of the radio show that made its debut on this date, 1936. The Green Hornet. That is correct. The Green Hornet made the debut, 1936. I got one right. Yes. And keep in mind, by the way, for those who love, you know, comic books and such, The Green Hornet is two years, or three years, excuse me, three years before Batman. Hmm. 1945, Private Eddie Slavik became the only United States soldier since the Civil War to be executed for desertion. It was on this date, give me 1949, the first TV daytime soap opera was broadcast on NBC. They did it out of Chicago. It was called These Are My Children. It ran on NBC from January 31st of 1949 to February 25th, 1949. That's correct, less than a month. The show was broadcast live from Chicago, airing 15 minutes a day, five days a week. It's on this date, Kimmy. I will give you... No, I want you to tell me. No, I'll give you the year. We'll, we'll make it easy. You're sick. You're ill. I'll play nice. It was on this date, Kimmy. 1950. The President of the United States at the time announces he had ordered development of the hydrogen bomb. Who is the President? Truman. That is correct. Harry S. Truman. 1950. It was on this date, 1958, Explorer 1 was put into orbit around Earth. It was the first U.S. Earth satellite and detects the Van Allen radiation belt, which would play a part in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea movie. Shortly after that, a few years after that. It was on this date, in 1960, Julie Andrews, Henry Fonda, Rex Harrison, and Jackie Gleason all appeared in a two-hour TV special called The Fabulous 50s. It was on this date, Kimmy, 1961, Project Mercury... Launched a Mercury Redstone 2 rocket. Ham the Chimp travels into outer space. The capsule suffers a partial loss of pressure during the flight, but Ham's spacesuit prevents him from suffering any harm. Ham's lever-pushing performance in space was only a fraction of a second slower than on Earth, demonstrating that the task could be performed in space by humans. Ham's capsule splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean was recovered by a rescue ship later that day. He only suffered a bruised nose. His flight was 16 minutes and 39 seconds long. He lived till January 19, 1983. Wow. 
and they were going to stuff him and put him in a museum. Hmm. But public outcry in the 80s prevented that from happening. Good. It was on this date, 1961. Bobby Darren and Friends TV special aired on NBC. Bobby Darren then hits our uh, our trivia on this date again, 1969. Bobby Darren walks off the set of the Jackie Gleason show when he was not allowed to sing Long Line Writer. Have you ever heard that song? No. You may understand why this happened. Here is a sample. To win 10 to 20 hearts, swinging 12 pounds in the yard every day. Every day, I came in with a group of 20, there ain't left but half as many, in the clay, in the clay, long line rider, turn away, there's a farm in Arkansas, got some secrets in its floor, in decay, in decay. Yes, that's Bobby Darren and Long Line Writer. I have a feeling you've never heard that song. No. And all my years with oldies, radio stations, and classic hits, never had anybody request that song either. Mm. Well, Jackie Leeson said he could not sing that song on the TV show. That was 1969. It was on State Kimmy, 1970 in New Orleans, Louisiana. This group was arrested for possession of LSD and barbiturates. The event was alleged to be an inspiration for this song, Tell Me Who the Group Is, who got in trouble on this date in 1970. Kimmy, can you tell me who that is? I have no idea. You're obviously not a hippie. That is The Grateful Dead, 1970, okay. and that was a big hit for them, Truckin'. It was on this date in 1971, astronaut Alan B. Shepard Jr. with the crew were on board the Apollo 14 for a mission to the moon. It was 1971. Now, Alan Shepard was part of what mission before, meaning what type of launches was he part of? He was the original astronaut of something, the seven. Can you tell me what he was part of? Gemini. Wrong. He was grounded in Gemini. He couldn't fly at that time. The one previous to Gemini. What was it? He was the Mercury 7. Mercury. Yes, he was a Mercury 7. Oh, he, that's what I and, meant. And he was grounded because of an, of an ear condition and eventually overcame that and was allowed to be part of Apollo. Now, the odd thing is he could have bumped himself up to Apollo 13. Mm. when he was certified to come back. Because, see, the, the thing with NASA at the time, they wanted one of the original, one of the Mercury 7, to walk on the moon. And he was the one left of the seven who could. Deke Slayton was grounded at the moment. He would eventually become certified, but he would be part of Apollo Soyuz. Slayton was ahead of the astronauts and their division, and he could have been bumped up. He chose not to be bumped up because it would be rushed in training a little bit. He thought since the people had already been training for the mission, they should go. He thought Jim Lovell and crew should go. Instead, he goes on 14, and rest is history. Mm -hmm. By the way, he hits a golf ball on the moon. Mm. A couple of them, matter of fact. Snuck it uh, on the, uh, the mission. By the way, with Apollo 13, Lovell was allowed to go back. He could have went on 14 or another. He chose not to. I don't blame him. Now, what's interesting with 14, though, with, with Shepard, he was tougher than nails. 
And Shepard had a problem with the magnetic locks for the docking where they had to climb into the lunar module. And they would make these, these clicks, like a dozen clicks that they hit. They would not lock. And he kept hitting the device, slamming into it to get it to lock beyond what was in practice sessions. It does lock. And then they go down to the moon and they start having technical issues, problems, sensor issues. He will not abort. He's not communicating everything back because he knows what's happening and they would tell him to abort. He is going to land. Mm. And he told his the person next to him, we are going to land on the moon. It didn't mean they would be leaving the moon, but it meant they were going to land on the moon. That was his objective. Hmm. Yes. Alan Shepard. It's, it's one of many I wish I would have had an opportunity to have met. It was on his date in 1979 in Vancouver. The Clash began the first North American tour with Bo Diddley as their opening act. Have you ever seen them perform, Kimmy? No. It was on this date in 1982. Sandy Duncan gave her final performance as Peter Pan in Los Angeles, California. She completed 956 performances without missing a show, just like you. Hmm. I bet she was sick sometime, too, just like you are now. Sure. I have a feeling. So on this date, 1985, the final Jeep rolled off the assembly line of AMC plant in Toledo, Ohio. It was on this date, 1988, this person performed at the Super Bowl. That's Super Bowl number 22. They performed the national anthem. Tell me who this is, Kimmy. Kimmy, can you identify who that is that performed the national anthem at Super Bowl number 22 on this date in history? Do you need me to give you multiple guesses? I can give you multiples if you would like. Herb Albert? Well, you got that. I was going to give you some guesses. You got it exactly right. It is Herb Albert on this date, 1988. Do you remember that performance? No. Okay. It was on this date, 2000. By the way, I have it on my MP3 player. I'll play it for you. So you can listen to it again. It was on his date in 2001. It was announced that Peter Chris was leaving what rock group? Kiss. That's right. And he would be replaced by Eric Singer for the remainder of the dates of the farewell tour. Now, Chris's last show was on October 7th, 2000. 2005, Keanu Reeves receives a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was on this date in 2010. Kimmy Avatar becomes the first film to gross over how many dollars worldwide? Three billion? Two billion is what it was. Yeah, you're getting close. What's a billion, right? Yeah. Yeah, 2010. It was on this date, Kimmy. 2010. This recording artist, are you paying attention? Mm -hmm. This recording artist set a Grammy record for females when she won six. The six awards were Song of the Year, Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, Best Traditional R&B Vocal Performance, Best R&B Song, and Best Contemporary R&B Album. Who won all those Grammys 2010? Beyonce. That's exactly right. Moving over to birthdays on this date in history, Zane Gray. Have you ever read anything by Zane Gray? I don't know. Well, you obviously don't even know who Zane Gray is, do you? No. Zane Gray, born in 1872, died in 1939 at the age of 67. His novels and short stories were all around Westerns, basically. And get this, they have been adapted into 112 films, two television episodes, and a television series, Dick Powell's Zane Gray Theater. And I have a feeling you've never seen any of that. And one of the retro stations, I can't remember which one for sure, does run Zane Gray Theater, especially weekday mornings. This person, born on this date, 1902, dies 1968 at the age of 66. 
She was a wild child in her younger years. She's also known for playing a villain on Batman, Kimmy. Can you tell me the name of the character she played on Batman? I'll tell you who it is. It's Tallulah Bankhead. Can you tell me the name of the character she played on Batman? There is nothing common about me, dynamic doll. And as for being caught in my own web, may I give you a tiny little piece of advice? If you wish to live and thrive, let the spider run alive. Oh, well, then I'm afraid I must do another evil deed. How ironic. Now, it is you who are caught in my web. Rightly cunning of me, don't you think? Now, Kimmy, I want to point out that she is not doing a character voice there. That's her natural speaking voice. Can you tell me the name of the character? Boy, that look on your face. Tell me the name of the character, even though there were some clues in there, that she played on Batman, a villain. I have no idea. The Black Widow she played on Batman. She played on Batman really close to the time of her death. Her last appearance on TV came March 1967 as Black Widow on the Batman TV show. And then December 17, 1967, on an episode of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, she was there. And then she appeared on NBC's Lost episode of The Tonight Show. She actually interviewed two of the Beatles on that episode. Johnny Carson was uh, not there. He was on vacation. He had somebody sitting in for him. He had Joe Gargiola. Uh-huh. Remember Joe Gargiola? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he a baseball catcher, if I remember right, mm-hmm. I think? Well, the two of them interviewed the Beatles. They interviewed Paul McCartney and also John Lennon. Wow. Uh, yes, it is part of the Lost episodes. Now, upon her death, Bankhead is credited in 300, nearly 300 stage, film, and television, and radio roles. She is regarded as one of the 20th Century Theater's great leading ladies. She would get in trouble being interviewed in the 30s and 40s with mm, magazines and newspapers because she was quite, uh, oh, free will in speaking about her sexual escapades. Hmm. And she was banned by the Hayes Institute, which was a, or the Hayes Organization, which is censors. Oh, yeah. She she was way out there for her time period. And she also appeared on an episode with I Love Lucy. And Lucy, by the way, would do almost a spot-on impersonation of her. I'm not playing that. But she did appear on Lucy. Hmm. Hello, darling. <laughs> Miss Bankhead? Yes? This is Lucy Ricardo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had a weird relationship on the episode. Hmm. Lucy tries to convince her to do a like a PTA play, hmm. and Lucy has to fill in for her too. It's it's a fun episode of I Love Lucy towards the latter years of the the Lucy show. You didn't know who she was, did you? Mm-mm. Gary Moore, born on this date, 1915, died at the age of 78 in 1993. He was an entertainer, game show host, known for I've Got a Secret. You might see that on Buzzer TV still, and definitely you'll see To Tell the Truth. Now, did you ever watch To Tell the Truth, Kimmy? No. All right, so you wouldn't even know who he is. This person born on this date in history, born 1919, died at the age of 53 in 1972. Kimmy, there is a baseball stadium named after him in Daytona Beach, Florida. Who is it? Jackie Robinson. That's correct. American professional baseball second baseman who became the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. And he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. And for our comic book fans and friends, that might be a comic book to look for. Jackie Robinson comic book issue number five, published in 1951 by Fawcett Publications. It has him right on the cover. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. John Agar, born on this date, 1921, died 2002 at the age of 81. American actor, best known for starring alongside John Wayne in the films Sands of Iwo Jima. It's actually a very good film. And Fort Apache, and it's another good one, too. And she wore a yellow ribbon. But later in his career, he would star in B-movies, which you know and I knew as a kid, the creature feature kind of movies. He was in Tarantula. Remember Tarantula? Mm-hmm. He played the doctor trying to solve the, the tarantula thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he was a reporter. I think that's what his real role was. And the mole people, he was in that one that went down on mm. the ground, remember? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's one that goes down on the ground. Revenge of the Creature he was in, that's another one. And Flesh and the Spur and Hand of Death, he was the first husband of Shirley Temple. This person having a birthday today. Kimmy, tell me how old this person is, but identify him first. An American actress, singer, dancer, comedian. On television, she appeared as an entertainer on variety shows like Ed Sullivan, and Hollywood Squares she would be part of. And you would see her on Carson and shows like Carson. And she appeared on Sesame Street and sang a parody of the song Hello, Dolly, called Hello, Sammy. And in 1993, she played herself on an episode of The Nanny in the episode Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. She had a unique voice, sort of like Tallulah Bankheads. So if you can identify who this person is, here's clue number one. Oh, Andy, well, it's very, very good to see old friends again like you and all that, but... You know, I really do like Broadway. You know why? Well, it's so much closer to New York. That's what you have. Well, uh, there also, you know, I'm doing uh, uh, Anita Luce I, uh, has written a new Broadway show for me, and I really do feel that I should get back there, Andy. Well, uh, you see, I think that they started rehearsals two weeks ago. Well, Andy, there's a permanency about it. You know, uh, in Hollywood, fame is a fleeting thing, to coin a phrase. Okay, I'm letting you recover there, Kimmy. Can you identify who that person is? Carol Channing. Oh, my goodness. I don't even have to play her singing here. Just south of Miami, there's a snake named Sammy who forms a letter S each night on stage. Wow. I don't know how you knew that. Now, she scared me as a child when I would see her on TV. Mm -hmm. I think as an adult looking at her performances and stuff, especially from the time periods when we saw her on television, she would have made an excellent live-action version of Cruella de Vil. Fantastic, I think. Mm -hmm. She did, by the way, excellent work with uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, live performances. Now, the big question, Kimmy, is how old is Carol Channing today? 98. Since we give you a five-year buffer by by default, you almost got it spot on. She's 96 years old. Okay. Very good. But do you remember her on Carson? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Actress Gene Simmons, born on this date, died at the age of 80 in 2010. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in Hamlet in 1948. Won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in Guys and Dolls in 1955. Other notable films included Young Bess, 1953, The Robe, 1953, Elmer Gantry in 1960, Spartacus in 1960, and the 1969 film The Happy Ending, for which she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress. Norman Mailer, born on this date, died at the age of 84 in 2007. Author, his best fiction novel, The Executioner's Song, won him one of his two Pulitzer Prizes. That book was published in 1979. 1969, he won the Pulitzer Prize for Armies of Night. 1980, the Pulitzer Prize for Executioner's Song. Have you read either one of those, Kimmy? Mm-mm. Easy question for you here. 
This person born on this date died at the age of 83 in 2015. Nickname, Mr. Cub and Mr. Sunshine. Who is it? Ernie Banks. That's correct. Was an American professional baseball player who played Major League Baseball as a shortstop and first baseman for the Cubbies, 1953 and 1971, between those time periods, 1953 to 1971. Other person having a birthday today, James Franciscus having a birthday, born 1934, died 1991 at the age of 57. An American actor known for his roles in feature films and four television series was in Mr. Novak, The Naked City, and The Investigators, and Longstreet. Played in a movie that you know, Kimmy, and I know. He played in Beneath the Planet of the Apes in 1970. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things really cool about that movie is the person who did the very end of the movie, the narration at the very end of the film, and he's not credited, and I used to win bets with people on this one because they would say, it's Orson Welles, but it's not Orson Welles. And it's actually a very creepy ending if you listen to the words that he says here. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star. And one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. That's the way that movie ends. Very, very dark, dark ending. That voice, Kimmy, I'm going to ask you, who is that voice, the person who is known as a man of 10,000 voices? I don't know. He does the voice of Boris Badenoff, Kimmy. He does the voice Paul of... Paul Freeze. What was that again? Paul Freeze. That's correct. He does the voice of the Haunted Mansion and so many other things. That is Paul Freeze. He truly could disguise his voice. He was all, actually also up for Darth Vader at one time, according to some sources. And worked for a long period of time. There was a time back in the 60s and 70s, they say you could not miss his voice for 10 minutes if you listen to a, a TV or watch TV for 10 minutes, his voice would be there somewhere in mm. something. He did so many things that you can't even... He's in the uh, those uh, classic uh, cartoon, not cartoon, live animation things that you uh, you like. He's, he does something. He's the, what, the Burgermeister mm. who hates toys. That's him too. That's Paul Freese. This person having a birthday today, Kimmy, actress, see if you can identify who she is. She died 2008 at the age of 70. In 1971, TV producers saw her on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson and noticed a certain chemistry between her and another guest. That guest was Bob Newhart. She was soon cast as Emily Hartley, the wife of Newhart's character on The Bob Newhart Show, which she would play from 1972 to 1978. Who is she? Suzanne Plachette. That is exactly right. And then she would also play in Newhart, at the very conclusion of the Newhart TV series. She does a role again. We mm-hmm. won't spoil that for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Jessica Walter having a birthday today, actress, age 76, known for playing Misty for me. Did you ever see that? Um, yes, I did. Yeah, with well, Clint Eastwood. Yes. Come on. That was his first directorial film, Play Misty for me. And then she actually does a lot of things she doesn't get credit for or known for. She did a lot of TV in the late 60s and 70s. Ironside, they tried to do a spinoff with her in a role, and it just it did not did not take. Nolan Ryan having a birthday today. What is he known for, Kimmy? Baseball pitcher. Wow, very good. Major League Baseball player, 27 years in baseball, 1966 all the way to 1993. Pitched for four different teams. Can you name even just one of them that he pitched for in the majors? Houston Astros. That's that's acceptable. Also, the California Angels, New York Mets, and Texas Rangers. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1999. How old is he within five years? 69. He is 70, so you get that. This person, Kimmy. Harry Wayne Casey. Can you tell me what he's best known for? He is a 
top 40 disco performer. No. KC and the Sunshine Band having a birthday today. He is 66. Johnny Rotten having a birthday today. 61, best known as lead singer for what punk rock band? Sex Pistols. That's correct. Minnie Driver having a birthday today. Do you know who she is? An actress. That's correct. How old is she within five? Um, I don't know. She is 46 today, Kimmy. This person having a birthday today, this musician, this singer, this performer, this actor, Kimmy, tell me how old he is within five years. Now, he rose to prominence as one of the two lead vocalists and the youngest member of NSYNC. As a solo artist, he had hits, Cry Me a River, Rock Your Body, Sexy Back, My Love, What Goes Around Comes Around. Who is he? Justin Timberlake. Yes, and how old is Justin Timberlake today? Uh, 40. Justin Timberlake is 36 today. You get it within five. I see dead people. Notable death celebrities today, Kimmy. Tell me what this person is known for. Passed away 1956. Name is A.A. Milne. Who is he? What is he known for? Winnie the Pooh. Well, hello out there. It's me, Winnie the Pooh. And don't forget to remember to stay tuned to the Riley and Kimmy Show. And don't forget to remember to keep on bouncing, says Tigger. <laughs> That's correct. A.A. Milne was known for writing Winnie the Pooh books. Died at the age of 74 in 1956. Now, Kimmy, when, when was the first uh, Pooh book released? Was it released 1900, 1920s? 1930s. 30s? 1920s. 1926 is when the first Pooh book came out. And then eventually Pooh would become part of a, a certain mouse company. But Milne, but Milne's family still owns the copyright to Winnie the Pooh. It was 1974. Samuel Golden, U.S. film magnate, MGM Studios, passed away, dies of natural causes at the age of 91, most well-known for being the founding contributor and executive of several motion picture studios in Hollywood and is considered the first great Hollywood mogul. I think you did a great job today, Kimmy, not feeling that well. I think I think you stuck with us and did great. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for being part of this episode, sticking with us, not running out. We deeply appreciate it. Right now, we're going to go back in time and honor something from trivia. Radio And that's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Anytime we have an opportunity to go back in time to the golden age of radio, we take that opportunity and we have some, well, great examples of the theater of the mind. Old time radio, the golden age of radio. Since the Green Hornet made its debut on this date in 1936, I thought we'd give some examples of the Green Hornet, not from that 1936 uh, time period because of sound quality issues and things like that. The ones we will give examples with here, please be forgiving for the sound quality because it's not up to today's standards. First episode we have is from May 30th, 1939, called Words and Music. Next one is November 23rd, 1939. The Smuggler signs his name. These are uninterrupted for your enjoyment as we celebrate the Green Hornet making his debut on radio in 1936. Here we go back in time. Here's the Green Hornet on the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies that even the G-men cannot reach. The Green Hornet. 
adventure, words, and music. The events and characters depicted in this drama are fictitious. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Let successful radio, talking, and recording artists show you the glamorous road to fame and fortune. Write the words and music for a song hit. Let the three J's, Joe, Jack, and Jim, do the rest. We publish and distribute. We guarantee to put your song in the hands of leading movie producers, orchestras, and radio stations. Get out of the rut. Write a song. How's that sound for an ad? Joe, you ought to quit music publishing and go in for ad writing. That'll get them. Sounds good, Joe. But you ought to have something about uh, send for our free booklet and full details. Oh, I got that here. Right down at the bottom. Now, the idea is that we'll run this in all the cheap magazines with a blank to be sent in. We've fiddled around with this racket long enough. Now it's time to branch out. That's the idea. Get into a nationwide business. Hold on, Jack. Hmm? Maybe we should get a lawyer to look things over. We'll be using the mails, you know. I talk to the lawyer, Jim. We aren't breaking any laws. What about that line, submitting songs to radio stations, dance bands, and all that? We will. We'll submit them. If they toss them in the wastebasket, that's not our worry. Okay. Another thing the lawyer said. What's that? We ought to protect each other. I got some contracts here, see? Contracts for what? We all sign them. It's a partnership agreement, so we don't break up. Break up? Yeah. Suppose one of us lands a job with a radio sponsor or something. None of us could. You know that, Jake. We worked as a harmony trio. We're washed up as far as that stuff goes. Maybe your pipes were never good for solo stuff, but Jim can do a good tenor. Oh, not me. I'm with a publishing racket. There's big dough in it. And we don't have to worry about commercial contracts running out. Just the same. We should have an agreement. If one of us pulls out or dies, the other two get his share of the work. That's fair enough, Jake. Sounds all right to me. I thought it'd be okay with you two. If we're going into big business, we might as well be organized right. And what about this ad? Is it okay with you two to go ahead and run it? Sure. The sooner we get started, the sooner the door will begin rolling in. The advertising for the three J's was widely circulated throughout the country. And a few weeks later, cash came pouring into the publisher's office with every mail delivery. Hundreds of hopeful young people awaited the verdict of the racketeer trio, just as Waldo Fielding did. Any mail for me today, Mother? Uh, yes, Waldo. There's a letter from that song publisher. Where is it? Gee, I can hardly wait to hear what they say about my poem. Wouldn't it be swell if they put music to it and publish? Uh, there's the letter, Waldo. Gosh. If I could just get the start. Well, look at what some people make out of songs. I heard that sometimes a guy makes as much as... Ma! What is it, Waldo? They'll accept my poem. They will? Yeah, they like it. They'll have one of their best men write the tune, and then they'll publish it and see that it goes to all the radio stations and the movie studios and the dance band. Oh, boy, I knew I could do it. But, Waldo, won't they expect a lot of money for doing all that? No. They say here that they'll take the chance on royalties. If I don't make anything, they won't make anything either. All I have to do is pay for the copyright and the printing cost and mailing. But how much is that? Well, I, I suppose it'll seem a, seem like a lot to you, Mom. It's about $50. $50? But that's not much, really. Why, I'll bet a lawyer would charge almost that much just to get the copyright for me. And it might bring me in as much as half a million dollars. But, Waldo, $50, we haven't got that well, I'll get it. I'll sell my camera, and I can get something for my banjo. The chances are that Steve will pay a little for my shotgun. I'll get the money. Don't you worry about it, Ma. You just wait. I'll be rich one of these days. I'm going to start on another song poem right away.
weeks elapsed. Joe, Jack, and Jim found a veritable gold mine in their venture. They expanded in their advertising, moved into larger offices. And then one day... Hey, Joe. Jack. Yeah, Jim? The better business people have been checking up. So what? They don't like our way of doing business. Oh, they don't, huh? Well, isn't that too bad? What are they going to do about it? They'll probably publish some warnings about us. Ah, the suckers that send lyrics and tunes to us won't listen to warnings. They're so convinced that their stuff is good, they'll believe whatever they want to believe. That's the psychology of this business. I'm just passing on what that bird from the business bureau told me. He claims we're running a racket. It isn't a racket at all. We take a certain fee for publishing a song, agree to secure copyright, furnish a tune, a lyric, whichever is required, and have a certain number of copies printed and distributed. And we do all those things. Certainly. We fulfill our part of the contract to the letter. There isn't a law in the country that can touch us. But it won't do us any good to have newspaper ads calling attention to our way of doing business. Well, we can't stop it, can we? Well, I thought if it was agreeable to you two, I'd uh, make a few promises to stall things off for a while. We're really just getting a foothold. An ad in a paper in one city isn't going to hurt us much. Our business is nationwide. Let them advertise. Can't hurt us. Okay, Jack, it's up to you. And Joe? I agree with Jack. Now, uh, what about the tunes for this batch of stuff that came in today? You got it all sorted according to meter, haven't you? Yeah. Okay, then let's have it. I'll wrap out a few little jingles and give them some music. Seems to me it's kind of risky using the same tune for half a dozen different songs. Nah, the stuff never amounts to anything. Nobody will ever hear it. What's the difference? I can't think of 150 new tunes every day. You keep the stuff pretty well scattered, though, don't you, Jim? Sure. For example, I'll use that tune, Moonlight Love, on the poem of a guy in New York, one in St. Louis, maybe one in Omaha, one on the West Coast. That saved me writing four different tunes, see? It'd be kind of tough if the fellas ever got together and found they had the same tune. Fat chance for that. Well, what would happen if one of the songs became a hit? A hit? <laughs> That's a good one, Joe. How can any of this stuff ever be a hit? We'll see to it that it isn't. I... I wanted to speak to you. We're in conference. What do you want here? My name is Fielding. Waldo Fielding. I sent you a song a few weeks ago. Remember the name? Uh, sorry, Feeling. We're in conference now. We can't be disturbed. I've been trying for four days to see you. I spent all my money. What do you want to see us about, kid? My song. Did you get your copies of it? Uh, yes, sir, but I wondered if there hadn't been some sales made. Mm. Where are you from? Simmons Corners. Well, what are you doing here in the big city? Well, I, I thought my song would be selling, so I came here. I, I thought I might be able to do better if I was working closer with you. You see the girl in the outer office and ask her to check up on the sales of your song. But I doubt if it's had any sales yet. You know, it takes time to put the new things over. Well, I... I, I thought I might make a personal appearance with an orchestra or something. <laughs> well, we'll send for you when we want you for that, kid. I... I did speak to the girl. What'd she tell you? She said that there hadn't been any sales yet. Well, that's the answer, then. Why don't you go back to Simmons Corners or wherever your home is and stay there till we send for you? Well, I... Look, there must be some sales. If you sent that song out to all the people you claim you did, I... I haven't eaten in two days. I... I gotta have some money. Well, what do you want us to do? Dish it out of our pockets? We're running a publishing house, not a traveler's aid. Yes, sir. We sent you 50 copies of the song. Why don't you go out in the street corner and try to peddle them or something? That's one way to drum up business. Yes, sir. You want to buy a song? Say, mister, do you want to buy a copy of my song? <laughs> Not today. Buy a copy of my song, lady. Get out of my way, please. Look, mister, do you, do you want to take a copy of the newest song you hit home? Hey, you. What are you doing there blocking the traffic? 
Oh, officer, I, I didn't mean anything. What's this you're trying to peddle? Music? It, yes, sir. I'm trying to sell a song. Maybe you'd better find out something about the laws of this town. You can't stand on street corners interfering with pedestrians peddling music. Got a license? License? No, sir, I haven't. Uh, you'd better come down to the station house with me, I guess. No. No, please. I didn't know. Come on, kid. You can't get away with this sort of thing. <sighs> hey, suffering catfish, the kid's passed out. What have you got there, Doyle? Lowry, why is it that you're every place I am? I learned when I first started in as reporter for the Sentinel, Doyle, that if I keep close enough to you, I see things happen. Yeah, what's the matter with the kid? You crown him with your nightstick? No. I just started to take him in for peddling music on the street, and he passed out cold on me. Mm, the kid looks half-starved. Oh, he does at that. How long is it since he's eaten? I don't know. Here, Lowry, stay with him till I call the wagon. Yeah, maybe I'll get a story here. This looks like human interest stuff. Ed Lowry, the star reporter of the Daily Sentinel, came into the office of the young publisher, Britt Reed, a couple of hours later. Miss Case, Reed's secretary, said... Mr. Reed's not in now, Lowry. But I gotta see him about a special story. He's still out. Where? How the dickens do I know where he goes? I'm the last one he tells. It's discouraging. Discouraging? Hey, now listen, Casey. Don't get ideas that the boss is interested in you. He travels with the 400. Don't be idiotic. As far as Britt Reed is concerned, you're just part of the office furniture. But I do wish he'd settled down long enough so I could write to his father with some feeling of confidence. Now, what's the trouble? Oh, just as soon as I write Mr. Reed and tell him that Britt's taking an interest in the Daily Sentinel, he, he disappears. <laughs> Lady, if I had his dough, I'd never come to the office. During the past week, he's been out to some affair almost every night. He's bored with the office again. Well, he'll get his fill of nightlife and then settle down again. Yes, until he gets his fill of the newspaper business again. Oh, here he is. Say, boss, I ran into Doyle, the big cop, today. Oh, yes? And he had a kid in tow. The kid had passed out from hunger. But when Doyle spotted him first, he was trying to peddle a song he'd written. A song? And it ties right in with the racket we've been working on. Uh, what racket was that, Larry? Music publishing. You know, those wildcat publishers that call themselves Joe, Jack, and Jim, the three J's? Who are they? Uh, a broken-down vocal trio that hit a good racket. I got a first-hand story from one of the victims of the racket. The poor kid got just enough encouragement from them to quit his job and leave home. Here, here's the song he wrote. I brought a copy for you. Well, leave it with Miss Case. I'll take it with me when I go home. But what about my story? I got pictures of the kid. Yeah, speak to the city editor about it. He's paid to handle that sort of thing. But maybe there's editorial meat in it. Gunnigan is the best judge for that. Oh, hang it all. What's the matter, Larry? Well, look here, boss. Take I got Gunnigan, Larry. Okay, okay. I'll take it to Gunnigan. There's the words and music. Mr. Reed. Yes, Miss Case? I'm going to stick my neck out again. Isn't there something we can do to make the office more attractive for you? Oh, no, it's uh, quite all right, Miss Case. Then why can't... <laughs> why won't you... Oh, I understand, Miss Case. You're concerned again because I'm uh, spending too little time around here. Frankly, I am, Mr. Reed. I hate to keep writing your father that you... Ah, I'm sorry. But you'll have to admit that newspaper work hasn't a great deal of adventure. It might have. Oh, yes, Miss Case, it might have. There was plenty of excitement while the Green Hornet was so active. Mm -hmm. It was, wasn't there? I wonder if the Hornet has been killed. Killed? Why, Miss Case? We haven't had a story about a Hornet adventure in quite a while. That's true. He may have been killed, or he may have 
Well, retired. Mm, I doubt if the Green Hornet would retire, Miss Case. Well, perhaps then the police and public have been so greatly aroused that the Hornet doesn't risk making another appearance. That's quite possible. I never saw you more interested in the newspaper than while the Green Hornet was running wild. Well, you must admit the Green Hornet furnished news. He certainly did. Mr. Reed, there's just as much excitement in everyday life if you could only realize it. For example? For example, that lad that Lowry tried to tell you about. Waldo Fielding. But there's human interest. Poor chap that falls for racketeers, quits his job in the little home community, comes to the big city, goes hungry, is misled and victimized by these fake music publishers. Isn't there something the law can do about publishers of that sort? If there were, the law would be doing it. But they stay inside the law, Mr. Reed. According to Lowry, they have a contract, and they fulfill the terms of the contract. So the law is helpless. I've heard about the racket, Miss Case. Aren't you going into your office? No, I think I'll leave for the day. It's after four. But, Mr. I'll Reed... I'll take the along with me just to satisfy Lauren. Very well. Come by tomorrow. You will stop in then tomorrow. Oh, yes, I'll probably stop in. The Green Hornet would only start up again, and perhaps Britt Reed would become interested in the publication of news. <laughs> Curtain falls on the first act of our Green Hornet adventure. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. To continue our story, Britt Reed went directly from his office to his apartment. He was uneasy and restless, and only Cato, his faithful valet, realized the real cause of the uneasiness. You're right, Cato. I do feel handcuffed, hampered, tied down. If there's only some way the Hornet could get at this music publishing racket, I'd go off. But the risk, Mr. Britt. The risk be confounded. There's a risk in anything, Cato. Yes, Mr. Britt. I can't find any way it can be broken up. Not even if we do use the role of the Green Hornet to get at them. Is it big? It's nationwide. Those three crooks, Joe, Jack, and Jim, have thousands of people all over the country sending money to them. Money that won't bring a thing except false encouragement and heartbreak. Yes, sir. Yeah, look at tonight's Sentinel. Look at that warning from the Better Business Barrel. They wanted to buy a few inches. I gave them a quarter of a page. But do you think that'll stop people from being made victims? Not on your life. I even ran one of the songs, a typical song, copyrighted and published by Joe, Jack, and Jim, to show the stuff they called good. Cato. I haven't it just occurred to me. What is it? I have an idea, Cato. Life's going to be exciting after all. This may be the entering wedge. Maybe this is what the Green Hornet's been waiting for. Yeah, and for the business bureau, Cato. It shows a typical song published by that firm of Joe, Jack, and Jim. Yes, Mr. And the music for this is the same tune that was used by that young chap Lowry brought in a story about. It is. It definitely is. I don't know a great deal about music, but I do know that much. Did I have an engagement for tonight? Very poor, Mr. Bates. Cancel it, then. We're going to make other plans. Where are they? This may give me the lead I need to smash that publishing firm. Joe, Jack, and Jim. Well, we'll see if they're staying within the law. Well, what can you do? Do? Go to the office. I want to look around there for a while. And if my suspicions are correct, we'll hold a meeting of the firm. The firm? Joe, Jack, and Jim. Come on. We're taking out the Black Beauty. 
Secret Reed went through a secret panel in the rear of his clothes press. And then by means of a passage between the walls of the apartment building, he reached a small door that opened into the loft of an old, supposedly abandoned livery stable. It was here, unknown to everyone, that the sleek black car of the Green Hornet was housed. Is the car ready, Cato? Yes, sir. All right, get in. Mask? Here, in compartment. Gas weapon? Here. Good enough. I want to telephone Joe, Jack, and Jim, but I can do that from their own office later on this evening. Yes, sir. Now, let's get going. Get him out of the way. Can't take chances on him. Take the car now. You know where to meet me? I know. Hat brim pulled low over his eyes, almost hiding the mask. The green hornet approached the entrance of the office building where a man stood smoking a pipe. Officers are all closed now, mister. I, uh... I don't want to hurt you. <coughs> what have you done, Hornet? That'll hold you for an hour. If I need more time, I'll give you some more gas. Dragging the unconscious form of the watchman inside the building, the Green Hornet left him in a corner, then ran the elevator to the tenth floor. Half an hour later, the three Jays had a phone call at their apartment. I suppose that's just another one of these would-be writers calling for information on his song hit. Answer, Jack. Hello. Oh, I wish we'd given that feeling kid a little dough. Oh, stop harping about him, Jim. Yeah. Oh, passing out in the street like he did. Hunger. That won't do us any good. Well, it won't hurt us any. Yeah? For the love of Pete, forget him. He just won. Yeah. He should have come to the city in the first place. Maybe you're right, Joe. That'll be swell. Who's he got on the phone? I don't know. Looks as if it's something pretty good. Yes, sir. Right away. Hey, fellas, we're set to really go places. Who is that? A publisher. Publisher? Magazine publisher. One of those cheap picture mags. He's in town for the evening and wants to talk to us about running a picture story of our business. Yeah? Hey, that would be swell publicity. Wouldn't it, though? That'll offset what the Sentinel has done. Won't offset it. It's a national magazine. When do you see him? Right away. He asked if I couldn't meet him in our office tonight. Tonight? Yeah, and let him see what sort of picture story could be run. Good, we'll go with you. Yeah, come on, let's start. This is the break of a lifetime. <laughs> Joe, Jack, and Jim rushed in a cab to their office building and found the front door open. The watchman must be on the first floor. Yeah, that'll save us waiting for the elevator. Hey, Larry! Where are you? He isn't on the first floor. The elevator's just coming down now. You shouldn't leave the front door open like that. Don't worry about it. Well, Larry... You're covered. What in blatant mass? The Green Hornet. One of you can run this elevator. Get in there or I'll fold you up where the night watchman is. You killed him. Murder. Get aboard. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. What are you after? Up to your office. Get going now. The tenth floor, you know. Stop waving that gun around. I'll stop letting you have it at the first sign of any rough stuff. I'll shoot. Take it. Go. Jim. <laughs> Let that warn you two. Shot him in cold blood. Yeah. How do you like it? Leave him right where he is. You open that door and get to your office. 
What are you going to do? You'll find out. Step along there. There's a light there. I left it. You needn't think about the magazine publisher because I was the one who found you. I took the liberty of using your own telephone. I, I have keys. You won't need them. I've unlocked the door and everything else that needs unlocking. Now what? Sit down in there. What's all this stuff? Your so-called song hit. Yeah, I... I see. A couple of them have possibilities, haven't they, Jack? Why, sure, sure they have. Suppose the Green Hornet were to steal one of them. Not just suppose there would be a lot of publicity about the Green Hornet shooting two men, maybe more, to get possession of one specific song. What would happen to the sale of that song? See, that's right. It would become a hit of the week. Every band would use it, every radio station would be featuring it on a song and bring thousands and thousands of dollars in royalties. Maybe we can make a deal. Before I finish talking to you, Crook, you won't want that sort of thing to happen. What? Why not? Look here, Horn. You're tower gonna be broke. You're gonna be smashed to a finish. Broke? Smashed? I've already addressed a few envelopes, and I'll see that the rest are addressed. There they are. Take a look at them. I I don't understand. You will. Take a look at those three sheets of music I've laid out for you. What about her wrote that music? We, we did. Well, what of it? And who secured copyrights? We did. See, Every yeah. one of these songs can be made into a hit tune with the right promotion. I think I can see that it gets that promotion. I've already explained how. Well, a hit is what... We can't afford a hit. Suppose, for example, this number becomes a hit. What do you suppose the authors of these other songs with the same music would do? They'd sue, wouldn't they? Yeah, they'd probably sue. There were probably a dozen other poets who've been given the same melody for their song. They'd all start lawsuits. You two'd be dragged through every court in the country. Your whole racketeering business would be laid out in the open. Can you stand having a sensational song hit? I, I don't know. No, you can't. That's why I came here. It, it was a mistake. Uh, that's it. It was a mistake. A mistake. Uh, the printers made a mistake. They got the words and music. I made two I could go through your files and show you plenty of the same sort of mistakes. Sit down at that desk. What do you want? Money. Lots of money. There's your checkbook. I have to notice your bank balance there. You can write a lot of checks. Checks? I said checks. For who? Make out the first to Harvey Dale. D-A-L-E. According to your records, he's paid in $150. That's the amount you'll send him. And who else? Start writing. I'll do it. Oh, no. We'll have Jack do it. He's the one whose signature makes those checks worth something. Go on now. Start writing. Now you see here. Right. How far are you going? As far as your bank balance will allow. There's 200 to go to Mrs. Hagnew. 100 to each of the people on this list. 75 to these people. And there's a list of those who'll get $50 each. I'll be broke. I can't afford you all that. You can't afford I... not to pay up. You'll afford it a whole lot better than these people contributed to your success. And there's, there's another thing, Jack. Robin Steele. Shut up! Instead, there was another thing. We may have to overdraw your bank account considerably. I can't. You better convert some of the bonds you hold to cover the checks you make out tonight. I can't. You might even have I... to trade in some life insurance. If you don't cover those checks, you'll mighty soon find yourself not only in court... But eventually in jail. What would a jury made of people who read all about your racket in the magazines and newspapers give you? Take your choice, Rat. Go broke and stay free, or go broke and go to jail. And make out checks until you get the writer's cramp. And see that those checks clear the bank. <laughs> First one threat, then another. The Green Hornet compelled the publisher to make out checks to refund money. And then... That's as far as your cash will go. I'll see to it that these envelopes are mailed. You can't get away with it. No? Well, let me explain that I can still make one of your songs a hit. The song that Jim gave his life to keep from the Green Hornet. 
The song, it has some hidden significance to the Green Hornet. One small bit of the song torn and found in the clenched fist of the latest victim of the Hornet's weapon. Well, Jim, I'm taking him with me. I know whether or not those checks go to the bank. If they don't, Jim will be found with this emblem plastered to his forehead. The mark of the Green Hornet. And this part of this song clenched in his fist. Wait, wait. If we don't stop payment, if those checks go through... I don't have nothing but poverty to worry you. And don't try another racket like this one. The Green Hornet can make one of your songs a hit at any time. Only the next time, it might be one of you who furnishes the clenched fist. Leaving the two racketeers in their office, the Hornet took the elevator to the first floor, dragged the still unconscious man to the rear door of the building, and put him into the car. That'll do, Cato. What do we do with him? We'll have to keep him undercover and at least checks clear the bank. And then, Cato, we can let him go. Have you heard the news? Which news? That feeling kid got a refund from Joe, Jack, and Jim. That's news. Yes, and the mark of the Green Hornet was on the letter that went with it. Yeah, that's a page one story. The Hornet has stepped out again. I wish I had all the details. But that's not the biggest thing. Mr. Reed was in bright and early this morning. He's a newspaper man again. He's been working like a Trojan all day, trying to run down some leads on the Hornet from what information he gathered. He is? Yeah, but it won't last. Well, I'm certain that he'll lose interest again if the Green Hornet goes back into seclusion. But what if the Green Hornet was to be captured? I'm afraid Britt Reed would lose interest in the Sentinel in that case, too. the biggest of all game, public enemies that even the G-men cannot reach, the Green Hornet. With his faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed as he races toward another thrilling adventure. The Green Hornet strikes again. Hurry, Cato, here's where we smash a smuggling racket. This is the customs office right here, Axford. Golly, it's a big place, Lodi. What's all this courtyard for? 
They hold parades or something? <laughs> you love, don't you know what a customs office is? <laughs> what are you trying to do? Make me off to be ignorant? Now, with you, that's not necessary. I can see the proof right before my eyes. Oh, I ain't been a detective for nothing, Lori. Well, the police department would give you an argument on that. The customs office is where, uh, It's where, um, uh, Well, golly, it's where the customs inspectors hang out. Surprise! You do know something. And if that ain't the answer, I... I... Holy crow, you mean I hit it right? <laughs> for you, it's a bullseye. The customs office is where people coming into the country make their declarations. Declarations of independence? No, you sap. Declarations of the stuff they're bringing into the country. Now, look. See that guy with a cap ahead of us? Yeah. Standing next to the truck? Is he a customs officer? Yep. Uh, the guy with him is giving him some kind of argument, huh? It looks that way. Suffering snakes, Lodi. Look at that trunk. It's fell off the truck and got all smashed open. Say, maybe there is some news here. Huh? Jonathan gave me this as a routine assignment because things were dull. But who knows? Maybe that guy's important enough to give us a story for the Sentinel. Come on, let's go over there and listen in. This is outrageous. I shall notify my government. I'm the vice counsel for my country in this city. You have no right to inspect my luggage. It was a mistake, Mr. Sneed. You did it deliberately. Even a blind man could see the diplomatic seals on my baggage. Well, you brought in eight trunks. That's a lot even for a diplomat. I shall report this occurrence. There's no harm done. We'll send your stuff to your home. No harm? What is this trunk here? You deliberately let it smash open. Okay, I did. As a matter of fact, Mr. Sneed, I wanted to see what was in that trunk. This is an outrage. There's been plenty of smuggling going on. Look at the contents of this trunk. What of it? Nothing in it but lace handkerchiefs. Imported lace. What are you doing with a trunk full of imported lace handkerchiefs? You have no right to ask questions. Yeah, I know. Diplomatic immunity. Those handkerchiefs are for the consulate. I, uh, I may give some away as gifts. If you ask me, you're smuggling them in. For the last time, you have no right to question me. I will lodge a protest against this. It will be no... Hey, this is pretty expensive lace, isn't it? How dare you? Honey, look at all the decorations on it. Give me that. Hey, take it easy. For the last time, I've had enough of this prying. Who are these two? Search me. We're reporters, mister. From the Daily Sentinel. Reporter, sir. There is no story here. Go back to your paper. Golly, what's eating here? This... This oaf. Meaning me, Mr. Sneed? You and no other. I am leaving. I am going to the consulate, and I warn you. Unless these trunks are delivered at once, with none of the diplomatic seals tampered with, I shall see that you lose your job. Your government will pay damages for that broken trunk as well. Holy crow, he's mad enough to chew nails. Hey, what's all this talk about smuggling? Who is that guy? Name's Sneed. He's a foreign diplomat. If you ask me, the guy's using his diplomatic job as a cover for smuggling. Huh? What are you going to do? Me? I can't do a thing. You heard him yelling about his immunity. Holy crow, you mean he's bringing in stuff without paying no duty? Yeah, but just try and pin it on him. I'll be lucky if he doesn't get my badge for this. You guys might as well go peddle your papers. I'm in hot water and up already. Reporting, Lowry. I send you out to cover a custom house. And what happens? Don't again. I'm two bit diplomat gets riled when a trunk bus. And you're told to go peddle your papers and you go. Sure, I went, Gunnigan. Because I had something better. Mm, I see. You're too important for a little assignment like the customs house, eh? Wearing a balloon where your head ought to be, huh? Or is your work on the Daily Sentinel beginning to bore you, Lowry? Oh, for Pete's sake, Gunnigan, give me a break. I tell you, I got something. Yeah. And maybe I can prove it right now. Maybe. You better. Casey. Hey, Casey. Have you two finished your word battle? Oh, final round, Casey. Did you tell the boss we wanted to see him? I don't see why Reed has to be my inning, Gunnigan. Well? He said he'd be right out. Oh, here he is now. Yes, what's this about? Okay, Larry. Give. Boss, I swiped a handkerchief this afternoon. I want you... Great, Larry. Swipe. See? Now he's a kleptomaniac. Okay, then, borrowed. 
But Sneed doesn't know I have it. Sneed? At the customs house. He's some half-pint vice consul. When Axford and I got there, he was having a terrific argument with one of the customs officials. A diplomat shouldn't have to argue with the customs. That's what he said. There was a busted trunk, and I took this handkerchief from it. Gosh, that's a beauty. This guy sneezed at a dozen trunks, and the one I saw was jammed full of lace hankies. So, instead of a story, Laurie comes home with a lace hanky. It's one of the loveliest I've ever seen. Well, what Hey, Casey, you don't have to grab it out of my hand. Laurie, are you sure you're not pulling a gag? Huh? Are you sure this hanky didn't come from Creevy's? Creevy's? The department store? They've made a feature of imported lace handkerchiefs like this at a swell price. Miss Case, you're sure they're the same as this one? Mr. Reed, that's one thing a woman knows, materials. And you got this at the customs house, Larry? Out of Sneed's trunk, boss. What is this, a memory test? It's more than that, Gunnigan. Huh? Larry said he had a story, and I believe he has. Right, Larry? Check, boss. I have the same idea about this guy, Sneed, that the customs official had. Customs official? And he didn't mince any words, either. He told this guy off, even though it may mean his job. Gosh, Mr. Reed, I smell a mouse. Not a mouse, Casey. What you smell is a smuggling racket. What? Laura, you're suggesting Sneed is smuggling these in? He had plenty, and Casey saw them in that store. Well, maybe you are a reporter. But, Mr. Reed, the department store may have gotten the hankies some other way. Some honest way. Why not? This guy hasn't got a corner on lace hankies. What about the price, Miss Case? Did Creevy's offer them at a low price? Yes, Mr. Reed. It was much cheaper than anywhere else. It's a natural, boss. Creevy's is a big firm. They sell plenty of these things. Who's going to trace them? Yeah, that's true, Laurie. It would be difficult. Sure, Laurie. You missed your calling. You're not a reporter. You're an amateur sleuth. What reporter isn't, Gunnigan? Gosh, Mr. Reed, if this is true, think of the thousands of people that are buying smuggled goods. And the thousands this guy Sneed is picking up. Reed, can't you turn any place without running into a racket of some kind? I'm afraid not, Gunnigan. Every place you look, somebody is raking in the chips. Doing it by stacking the cards. Smuggling in lace. What can be done about it? Can't Sneed be arrested? Without proof, Casey? Even with proof, Miss Case. Remember, Sneed is a foreigner in this country and a diplomatic community. All the police could do is make him leave the country. I see. The people who purchase these handkerchiefs will be out of luck. Why? For possessing smuggled goods, Casey. It'll be a mess all around, Miss Case. One thing gets me, boss. How does Sneed deliver this goods to the department store? Who's he working with? Gunnigan Lowry dug this up. Can you keep him on it? You think there's a story? Perhaps. Okay. Where do I start? I got the police in on this. Give them the tip. Cover Sneed. Like a tent, boss. You find out who he's dealing with, there's something for the police. And plenty for the Daily Sentinel. Well, whatever you get, phone it in. I'll have a rewrite man handy. Sneed's going to have to move those goods fast, and the Sentinel wants to know how. That evening, Britt Reed returned to his apartment and gave certain instructions to Cato his valet, and the only living man to know him as the Green Hornet. You understand what I want, Cato? Yes, Mr. Bett. A chemical ink that'll be invisible for a certain period and then begin to show up. You can do this? It's easy, Mr. Bett. Laurie and Axford are with the police shadowing Sneed's home. Even if they have some idea about who's working with Sneed in this smuggling racket, they may be unable to get proof. And that puts it up to us. You go out tonight? Tonight, Cato, as the Green Hornet. Get down to the hiding place of the Black Beauty and start preparing the chemical... I'll join you as soon as I hear from Lowry. Hello? Boss? Yes, Lowry, what is it? I called Gunnigan. He said you left word to ring your apartment. Will the police have any news? Sneed's throwing a party, boss. Axford and Moran and I have been checking the guests. Come on, get to the point. Moran spotted one of the guests. Looks like our hunch was right. Don't tell me Sneed's trying to move that lace now. No, no, not yet, boss. But one of the guests was from the department store. Was it, uh, Creevy himself? Not Creevy, boss. 
Creevy's daughter. Creevy's daughter? Oh, looks like you may have a story, Larry. If we get anything else, I'll give it to Gunnigan tomorrow. Yes, do that. Good night. Good night, boss. Creevy's daughter, huh? Yeah, if anyone can get good smuggle into the department store, she could. I think I'll go to that party myself. Britt Reed went through a sliding panel in the rear of his clothes press, then along a narrow passageway hidden within the wall of the apartment house, which led directly to the supposedly abandoned building where Cato's laboratory stood, next to the sleek, streamlined car of the Green Hornet. Are you almost through with the chemical, Cato? Yes, sir. You report in this container as soon as you add the reagent. I'm adding it now, Mr. Wait. Your knowledge of chemistry comes in handy, Cato. Yeah, I'll hold the funnel. Now, cap this container and put it in your pocket. You have the Hornet mask and the gun? In the car. Yeah, I'll drive the Black Beauty, Cato. We can't get too close to Sneed's place with the police watching. I'll leave the Black Beauty a little distance off and trust in the darkness to get in. It's a danger, Mr. Bitt. Now, I recall after you left the apartment, Sneed is having a party at one of the guests is Miss Creevy. Creevy? When she and Sneed start discussing the smuggle lace, there's going to be another guest present, Cato. An uninvited guest called the Green Hornet. <laughs> Miss Creevy. Mr. Sneed. Oh, this is a lovely party. I'm so glad that you enjoy it. Would you care to dance? No, thanks. I'm rather tired. Can't we just, uh, talk? Surely, Miss Creevy. Here, through these doors. Now I can talk privately. You brought in the lace? Eight large trunks crammed full. There was almost some difficulty. What? The blundering customs inspector. Let the trunks fall off the truck. Does anyone suspect? One of the trunks burst open. There was a snooping reporter present at the time. He saw the lace? Oh, it is nothing. He doesn't suspect. I sent him away hurriedly. But we must be extremely cautious how we transfer the lace to your department store. There's no trouble about that. This particular department happens to be my job at the store. You have the lace here? Below in the basement. When will you pick it up? Tomorrow night, midnight. I'll have the truck. As usual, eh? Yes, the back entrance. We must be extremely careful. We always. We got away with it before. We can do it again. Fine, then. Tomorrow midnight. Now, perhaps it is best for us to return to the main room and mingle with... What's that? Excitement from outside. Here, this way. Through the French windows. Are you seeing him around? Who is this way? Hey, he's on the wrong now, expert. Who are they seeking? We're going across the lawn. Who are you? What do you want? Haven't you been seeing nobody around? What does this mean? I am having some people in. What is the disturbance? Sorry, Mr. Sneed. Moran, police headquarters. There's been a prowler around your place. A prowler? Golly, lady, ain't out, Mr. Janetta, Moran. He must have got away, Larry. You. You are that reporter. Why are you here? Well, uh... Holy crow, I'd say the way we're hanging around, Sneed. It's on the Never mind, expert. I, I want... said never mind. It's nothing, Mr. Sneed. We... We're just covering police news for the paper, that's all. You've been prying, snooping around. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yes, of course, of course. You must forgive me. I, I'm i a little disturbed. So, so much excitement. Was it um, a robber? I guess so, lady. You've got a lot of jewels in that crowd. Thank you very much for frightening this prowler away, Sergeant. Uh, if he has gone. Sure he has. Sufferance, Nash. We've seen him too fast for him to try, Norton. Whoever the crook was, 
He ain't hanging around. Not with Michael Ashford tonight. Have you any idea who it was? All we've seen was the shadow lady. Might have been any one of a hundred crooks. Sure, it's Holy mackerel. Listen to that. That strange buzzing. What is it? Tennis doors. Way down at the corner. It's a car. But it's going so fast. I never saw a car like this. Now take a good look while you can. There's your prowler. But who? Who? Holy crow. Who do you think? That's the car of the Green Hornet. <laughs> As the huge, streamlined Black Beauty sped away from Sneed's home through dark alleys, Britt Reed spoke briefly to Cato. The time will be tomorrow night at midnight, Cato. I'll be ready, Mr. Smith. Fortunately, Axford didn't get a close look at me. He spotted me there at the window, but the mask in the darkness gave me a chance to warn you. Just in time, Mr. Britt. You got into the basement? Yes, sir. Were you able to mark the lace handkerchiefs with a chemical? I stumped in. You used that rubber stamp we found on Sneed's desk, is that right? Yes. Good. Even though we were interrupted, there was still time enough to mark plenty of the lace. You went through each trunk. That's right. And the stage is set, Cato. I'll be at the Daily Sentinel tomorrow during the day to keep checking what the police know. Tomorrow night, we'll see if we can trap these smugglers without trapping the Green Hornet. Hey, Casey. Oh, darling, Casey, where's I can read? Put the brakes on, Axford. You'll go through the wall. Casey? Did anyone ever tell you about what a great detective I am? You did, but I still don't believe it. You will when you hear what I dug up. The only thing you ever dug up was a garden. It's news, Casey. Uh, go ahead. Convince me. Super snakes. You don't take me serious. So help me, Hosanna. It's real news. News with a capital G. Capital G? <laughs> you big lug. News isn't spelled with a G. Who said so? Mr. Webster. That's his dictionary right there. Ah, never mind that. This here news does start with a G. G for what? G for green hand. That's what. But it's excited. Not anymore. But Casey, didn't you hear me? The Green Hornet. Axford, what time is it now? Oh. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Golly, what's that got to do with it? Anyone else would have been calmed down by now. What are you talking about? The same thing you are. I'm talking about the Green Hornet. That's just it. You've been talking about him ever since last night when you spotted his car at Sneed's place. Axford, don't you realize that's old stuff by now? Holy crow, Casey. I ain't talking about last I night. I can't figure out why you keep up. What? It ain't about last night. The Hornets popped up again? Sure he has. A telephone call to public headquarters. That, that's what I want to see Reed about. Well, that's different. Yes? Axford's here, Mr. Reed. Axford? With a mouthful of news about the Green Hornet. The Hornet? Uh, late development? He's champing at the bit with it. Does he go in? Yes, send him right in, Miss Case. Now. Okay, Axford, that's your signal. But not too fast. Mr. Reed has company. Company? Lowry and Gunnigan are in there. Ah, them two. Go up, Axford. Ah, what do you mean? If you're going through that door open at first. It's easier. Ah, you and your guys. Hey, hey, Reed. What's this about the horn, Axford? It better be good. You're interrupting something. I came right over from headquarters. What's the scoop? Reed, the harlot's going to be over to Sneeds. Well, I thought that was last night, Axford. Super snakes. I just finished going through that once with Casey. He's going to be there again. Holy mackerel, boss. What's he after? Well, there's the smuggling business. Don't tell me the Hornet's interested in that. Why not? Read you. You seem mighty sure of yourself. Do I? From what Larry said, they're smuggling with a team of two. Sneed and Miss Creevy. Now you're ringing in the Hornet. Well, he, he was there last night, Gunnigan. Sure, we seen him. So it seems logical. I suppose he's concerned in some way with this racket. Mm, yeah, that, that's true. Who took this phone call, Axford? Over at headquarters, Reed. Uh, Brian took it. 
But he couldn't find out who was giving the tip off. Do we stand another watch, boss? You do, Larry. The Sentinel can use that good story. Help circulation. <laughs> Golly, need. Oh, why don't you come along? It's going to be a lot of excitement. Yes, perhaps I will, Oxford. Perhaps I will. Uh, I'm telling you, I've been in training. If I get near that clean harness, I'll... You'll do nothing. You guys remember one thing. You're a newspaper man. Ah, good Your business is getting the news. Leave the Green Hornet to the police. You get the story into the Daily Sentinel. What are you doing here, Casey? Eight o'clock. You closed up your typewriter long ago. Didn't you know, Gunnigan? I wanted to go along with Axford and Lowry. Oh, I get it. You couldn't be right on the scene, so Oh, you... I'm staying here at the Sentinel to learn the news when they phone you. Well, maybe a long week, Casey. I don't mind. I have my knitting. Okay. <clears throat> we'll hold down the lobster shift together. Holy cow, Miranda. The clock hit nine already. Ain't we going out to nab the harlot? According to that phone call, we got three hours yet. You ought to provide softer benches for the working press. That this bench is hardwood. Uh, do you think Reed is going to be there tonight, Lowry? Mm, I don't know, Axford. He said maybe. Your guess is as good as mine. All I hope is that the Hornet is there. What do you say, Creevy? Ten o'clock? It's too early. I'll give the order. Oh, Joe's downstairs with a truck. Wait. Can he wait? We leave for Sneed when I say so, not before. Mr. Breath, 11 o'clock. Yes, time for us to start moving, Cato. You understand what you're to do? Yes, sir. We'll use both cars tonight. You'll drive the Black Beauty. I'll take the small sedan. If I'm going to come in at the finish, I can't have Lowry and Axford wondering how I got there. I understand. I'll meet you at the entrance to the alley two blocks south of Sneed's place. Keep the Hornet mask and the gun and the Black Beauty with you so I can pick them up. I have them. The gun is loaded? Yes. That's all, Cato. Get going. Take the Black Beauty out of here. I'll meet you in a few minutes. Okay, here's the squad car. Pile in. Come on, expert. Move those dogs. We're going to Sneed's place now. Sure. Yeah. I should have the police for us. Step. That you, Butch? I'll set you. Three of us can sit up in front here. Yeah. Let's go. We're going to pick up them lasers, huh? Get this bus rolling. Sneed's expecting us. So what difference? No one suspects that you were here for the smuggled goods, no? Come on, cut the talk and let's get going. Yeah, you amateur crooks, give me a pain. If you're talking about me, Shut I... up. This ain't no time for argument. 
Butch and me will get the stuff out. You stay at the wheel. Uh, I stay at the wheel? Yeah, them trunks is heavy. I will open the back of the truck. Yes. Better take this. A gun. In case there's some trouble. Very well. But there will be no trouble. I shall watch from a little further down the alley. Come on. We gotta grab them trunks and load them in. The two men worked fast, making a trip for each trunk. Rick Reed and Cato moved closer to Sneed, sticking to the shadows. There. One more. Okay, Sneed. We'll be out of here in a minute. I will watch. Those fools. What reason is it to keep a lookout? There is no one here. I'll take that gun. Who are you? A gun. That mask. I've seen pictures of it. The green horn. going in that truck, Sneed. Now what for? Now before your thugs return on that last truck. You cannot do it. I don't. You shoot. Yes, I, I cannot breathe. I... Uh... They're coming. Quick, give me a hand. Into the truck with him. Way back where it can't be seen. No, Tato. Hurry, time for us to get out of here. Okay. Heave it in. Slam the doors. All through, Sneed. That's the words. Hey. Where is Snead? I don't know. Yeah, he maybe don't like the dodge. He's got my gear. I'll go in and hurry up. No time. Come on, we got to get this stuff rolling around the front. All set, Miss Creevy. We can get moving. Where's Snead? Come on. Come on, we ain't got no time for saying goodbye. We got the goods. Let's deliver it to your store. But but he... He didn't this time. This stuff's hot. Come on. Yeah, step on it. It's 12 o'clock. As soon as we get out of this alley, you better snap on the lights so nobody won't suspect nothing. As the huge truck rumbled out from the alley, the squad car carrying Moran with Larry and Axford approached from the main street. No sign of the harness yet. Ali, you think it was a false alarm, Moran? Hey, what's that truck doing come out of that alley? Whoever it is, Moran, it can't be the hornet. He uses something a little faster than that. Yeah, you're right. Are you going to look into that truck, Moran? What for? What for? Holy mackerel, you dumb flatfoot. Don't forget what started this whole business. Huh? You're after smugglers as well as the Hornet. That alley is right behind Sneed's place. Sneed? Hey, you're right. Holy crow, step on it. They're going around the corner. We'll get them. Hey, pull over there. Get to the curb. Out them in. They won't stop. Swing your wheel and smash into their fingers. Hold on. Here we go. What are you doing? What's the idea, smashing it out? That's far enough. Don't none of you move. What's this? Hey, it's a squad car. We've done nothing wrong. It's creepy, huh? That's my name. What of it? What have you got in this truck? I, uh, it ain't nothing. I... I'll tell you, it's late. Holy cow, you're admitting it. You're admitting you smuggled the stuff in with Sneed. I know, Mr. Sneed, but I have nothing to do with smuggling. This charge is ridiculous. These lace goods are for the department store. I'll say this for you, sister. You're a pretty smooth customer. Go ahead. Search the truck. You can't prove anything. I think that's a fine idea, Sergeant. Why not do that? Where's that mug? Reed, good gravy. Where did you come from? Why, sedan, actually. Parked right behind you. I saw the crash and came over. Okay, you. Open up this truck. Hold the flashlight on it, Axford. That's a gun the sergeant's holding. You'd be smarter to do as you're told. Uh, Okay. Those trunks are full of lace, but if you think you can pin anything on us, you're badly mistaken. Help let me out, I... Well, this looks like quite a party. I, I was gassed to harness it. Did you get the lace? Shut up, you fool. Need the police. Police? Yes, Need. Too bad your eyes were blinded by that flashlight. I am innocent. I, I have nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with what? You can't make any of us talk by these third-degree methods. I tell you, those laces are mine by rights, and you can't prove they've been smuggled in. Hey, Reed. Here's one of the handkerchiefs from the trunk. It sure looks like the ones we seen in Sneed's possession the other day. What of it? Let me see that, expert. I'd like to... 
Well, Sergeant Moran, take a look at this. Oh, holy mackerel. It's got Sneed's name written right across the corner. Oh, my name? Yes, right here. But that's impossible. When I brought these handkerchiefs in, there were no names on them at all. And yet, that is my signature from my rubber stamp. You fool! Let me at that rat! No, you don't! You've ruined everything! Take it easy, Miss Creeve. It would have made no difference if Sneed hadn't talked. I know better than that. You'd have been sunk plenty. These signatures were all the proof any court would need. Yes, yes, the signatures. I, I do not understand. Holy glory! What is it? Could you take a sniff of this handkerchief? Hmm. Whoever did it must have used invisible ink for those signatures. Invisible ink? Yes, you can tell by the characteristic odor. This was done with a chemical that doesn't begin to show up until 24 hours after it's applied. Well, what do you know? Invisible ink. Gotti, who is it? Come on, Sneed, spin it. There's only one answer for that. It was the man who gassed me. The man who ruined our plans. The Green Hornet. If you enjoyed that, please check out the Riley and Kimmy Show for archived podcasts, interviews, old-time radio shows, videos, and photos, all available at RileyandKimmy.com. We're asking for your help right now. The Spacey Awards are looking for the best podcast. You can place your vote for best podcast, and we hope it's the Riley and Kimmy Show. You can vote for us by going to our website, which is RileyandKimmy.com. And our Facebook page. We have a link to that uh, voting process. And remember, it's more than just liking our Facebook page that will get a vote. You have to actually click on the little bubble. Yes, for our name. Mm -hmm. That's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Please vote for us. We would like to thank you in advance for doing so. And we ask just one thing. Please share that with at least two people who will vote and ask them to pass it on to two more who will vote for us as well. That's the Spacey Awards. And you can find out more how to vote right on our website and our Facebook page. Link to our Facebook page is available right on our website, which is RileyandKimmy.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.